Future Paul here. We recorded this episode on December 11th, uh, 2019. For our first interview, the audio is astounding. That said, I found my personal interview skills to be lacking. The reason I usually write these episodes ahead of time is that I adore filling the space between every word with ums and ahs and you knows, you know, and that can get pretty annoying. I've edited out the worst of it, but be aware that this is an area where I'd like to improve. That said, I love this interview. I've known Chandler J. Birch since my university days, and he has a fascinating story. I won't spoil too much, but I think this interview is a perfect encapsulation of why writing a book every month is a personal learning experience for me, and not an ideal goal that everyone should pursue. Chandler is on Twitter, handle at Chandler J. Birch. He wrote The Face Fakers Game when he was 23 years old. The book was then published. November 1st, 2016, by Simon & Schuster, slash Simon451, in both ebook and print. The book is a picaresque fantasy about a clever young beggar who bargains his way into an apprenticeship with a company of thieving magicians and uses his newfound skills in a vendetta against a ruthless crime lord. We'll provide links in the description for the Face Fakers game and for any other books we mention. Okay, now on to the interview. Uh, welcome to Authors Dozen, Chandler Birch. How you doing, man? Dude, I'm awesome. Uh, That's so good. Yeah, can't can't complain. <laughs> what uh, if if you had to complain, what would you be complaining about right now? You're, oh man, where, where are you located? And uh, and uh... Uh, yeah, if I so if I had to complain, it would be that my heroes are dead, my enemies are in power, and uh, ah yes, you know, so that sucks. Um, <laughs> Uh, oh man but uh you know that's that's another topic for another podcast um, all good yeah I'm, uh, i'll be starting up my political podcast uh, uh shortly whenever people ask for it you know perfect which is never I'm yeah sure. yeah i um, <laughs> you know what uh it i am excited to finally fulfill my genetic destiny as a basic white bro uh, uh yes to, uh, to finally be on a podcast but i will admit yeah I don't feel that uh, that the world needs more basic white bros talking politics. Uh, uh, seems like we would nah. be more noise than <laughs> signal. But uh, uh, anyway, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm a writer living out in Colorado, um, uh, working as a uh, a copy editor for a really cool company, um, and trying to do uh, creative side hustles uh, with whatever free time that I have. Um, I'm married uh for five years and uh we've got our first kid coming in february in middle of february Dang. um congrats yeah we're super stoked um and obviously like a little bit terrified uh because no. you know that's kids are easy <laughs> yes famously kids kids yeah. are the easiest thing that you do right uh -huh. um so yeah we're we're pretty stoked and and trying to get prepared and uh you know just it's it's difficult to prepare for a thing that literally can't be prepared for a thing that is yeah. like nothing else that you have ever experienced in your life mm -hmm. um but uh we're super excited dude that's awesome thank you for uh thank you for introducing yourself uh so uh you mentioned the uh copy editing job so what's what's sort of your uh experience and path as a writer just to introduce people to you sure sure uh so my uh my backstory as it were is that i uh grew up um, pretty socially awkward and deeply, deeply unathletic, um, in Colorado. And, uh, so I preferred indoor pursuits, uh, among them video games and writing, um, wrote several really, really bad, uh, starts to books. One truly terrible full book before I graduated high school. Um, and, uh, when I was in about junior high, I, uh, my dad heard about a, uh, college writing program, uh, that was out in Indiana, uh, and knew that the instructor for this writing program would be coming to a writer's conference in Colorado Springs. And so he took me to lunch with this guy, um, 
this guy ended up being uh, Dr. Dennis Hensley of Taylor University. Uh, and I shook his hand at the end of the lunch and said, when I get old enough that I would be in his writing program. Uh, I've, I followed through on that promise, went to Taylor University uh, as soon as I could. Uh, Taylor University, um, your listeners will not know, but you, Paul, will know since we were in school together. <laughs> Correct. Uh, yes. Taylor University is a small college in Indiana that is about an hour north of the middle of frickin' nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a Walmart that is 35 minutes away. There's a McDonald's that is 20 minutes away. Those are the only signs of civilization. Everything else is corn. <laughs> oh man, my uh, it's I, I I had the uh, I had the pleasure of visiting a, a couple of uh, I want to say like a year and a half ago, um, and uh, they have installed a Chick Fil A at the dead center of campus, uh, <laughs> and it is it is a uh, I don't know. It, it's it's one of those things where like you don't need it but you kind of need to know it's there you know it is it is <laughs> deeply on brand and it is important yep. to have food options there yep yep so, so yeah i got there as quick as i could uh the professional writing program at Tingley university under dr hensley's leadership was very focused on trying to prepare you for life as a freelance writer uh, and to follow mm-hmm. Dr. Hensley's particular career path. Um, there's Your mileage may vary. I mean, Dr. Hensley made his particular career before the internet and also in a pretty narrow substream of publishing, uh, specifically mm-hmm. uh, Christian devotional writing and newspaper work. Neither of which are super booming right now. <laughs> you don't say. Um, turned out that the, the most valuable class professionally for me was the editing class with Linda Taylor, who is now in charge of the program after mm-hmm. a uh, scandal involving Dr. Hensley that I won't get into because I yes. can't get into it without being without turning into an incandescent pillar of rage uh, yeah. at, yep. at that dude. Um, anyway... Uh, Linda Taylor taught me how to edit stuff, how to understand a style sheet uh, and a style guide. And so now, um, five years out of college, every single job that I've had that hasn't been food service has been primarily copy editing work. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. So, um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about, um, aside from, uh, copy editing, what sort of genre writing do you like to play in and, and, uh, what got you into that? Oh man. Uh, so by a long, long way, my favorite type of writing is sci-fi fantasy because I'm an enormous geek. I've loved things like Digimon and Animorphs and, mm-hmm. uh, just any, any number of just weird stuff uh, since since I could walk. Obviously, I was weaned on Narnia because I grew up in a in a Christian household, uh, and so um, and and read Tolkien's Lord of the Rings when I was uh, way too young to comprehend it. To be totally mm-hmm. honest, I'm I'm really mm-hmm. don't think that much of it stuck uh, uh, when I when I read it the first time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've just always exclusively been into the kind of stories that you can tell where people can maybe fly or move stuff with their brains or that is taking place not on Earth uh, because, I don't know, I just never found myself particularly interested in in those kinds of things. Uh, the, uh, the opportunities to do different stuff with your world building or with your magic system or whatever else you might have was always a lot more engaging for me. Um, Mm. which looking back on it now, I, I kind of feel was a failing. I, uh, I really disregarded things like, uh, history classes, which it turns out would have been really (laughs) valuable, Mm -hmm. uh, as, as a writer of any kind, um, or just as a human, uh, who, (laughs) who wants to exist in a system that has existed since before you existed, it's valuable mm-hmm. to know what's been going on uh, since before you were here. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, uh, so you eventually did get into uh, uh, fantasy uh, for your first published novel. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that, just to um, introduce us to you know uh, your foray into publishing? Yeah, absolutely. So that book is a trip. 
so in order to understand that, we need to go all the way back to uh, probably about my junior year. Um, my junior year, right around the end of the, the semester, I realized that I, I kind of had a come to Jesus moment where I thought, uh, I've been calling myself a writer for a really long time, uh, but I don't ever write things mm. unless mm-hmm. I'm told to. And maybe I should do that differently. Perhaps I should try another path. Because uh, I had been a huge douchebag about uh, I only write when I'm inspired and <laughs> yep. uh, I'm, I'm writing the good stuff, you know, and the people who are writing every day are probably not writing the good stuff. They're just showing mm-hmm. up. Um, and right around then it occurred to me that maybe I should try to uh, treat it a little bit more like a job and a little bit less like a uh, just a divinely inspired packet of ideas mm-hmm. that come to me uh, mm-hmm. irregularly and without any kind of prompting. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, that summer I tried to write, uh, I think, like 500 or, or 1,000 words a week, which is a pretty small and manageable goal. Um, managed that. And then my senior year, for the first time ever, I tried out National Novel Writing Month, uh, which I imagine all of your listeners are going to be familiar with. But just in case they're not, uh, NaNoWriMo, as it's called, is in November. A bunch of people around the world uh, on the internet uh, promise to one another, we're all going to write a 50,000-word book. Um, Each of us, together, we're going to hold each other accountable. Uh, that averages out to 1,667 words a day, which is a bunch. Uh, mm-hmm. Depending on your typing speed or your creativity speed, that could be between an hour or two of, uh, of dedicated work. Um, I decided to make it a race between me and some mm-hmm. other people in the program, which was very helpful because I'm deeply competitive. And uh, I managed to finish the 50,000-word goal uh, by November 25th of that year and felt really proud of myself. Um, that, uh, that story was kind of the proto version of the book that would become the face fakers game, which is my first and currently only published book, uh, which was, uh, it was a story idea that I had been kind of tinkering with on and off for a few years at that point. Um, and I just wanted to do, uh, NaNoWriMo as, basically as an excuse to just do more, to try to stretch myself and see what my limits were. Um, Got to the end of that, felt very proud of myself for having done it, did finals. Um, And then January or February, that following January or February, uh, another person in the program posted in our Facebook group that Simon & Schuster was holding a contest for uh, student-submitted novels. Uh, In order to submit to the contest, you needed 50 pages of sample writing and a summary of where that sample would be going. And I thought that this would be another opportunity to kind of try to stretch myself and explore what I was capable of. And it would be a different kind of challenge to NaNoWriMo, because with NaNoWriMo, you're basically just trying to get the stuff done. Um, Mm -hmm. You're really not worried about quality. In fact, uh, it's pretty detrimental if you're worried about quality. You want to just get as much done in as little time as possible because you don't really have time to fart around worrying about whether you've chosen the right word. Um, But if I was going to be submitting a 50-page sample, then the language was going to need to be a lot tighter. Uh, I was going to need to do a lot more work making sure that everything was clean and focused and communicated exactly what I wanted it to communicate. It was basically the opposite of NaNoWriMo, and I had about a Mm -hmm. month to do it in. So I did Mm -hmm. that one as well. Uh, Basically, again, as just an exercise, I figured it was a really long shot that I would be getting into any kind of finalist position. It was basically just an excuse to try something new. Um, So I did that between February and March. Uh, And then the following month in April, uh, the publisher sent out an email that said, congratulations, you're one of our 10 finalists. And after falling out of my chair, uh, Mm -hmm. I realized that uh, I had just committed myself to writing a whole book of which Mm -hmm. I had currently 50 pages and a hastily Mm -hmm. written summary. Uh, And uh, I had about, 
let's see, five months to do it in. And in those same five months, I needed to graduate college. I needed to uh, uh, attend my own wedding. I needed to find a job. I needed to move across the country. And now I also needed to write a whole book. Uh, Yes. And I thought, yeah, sure, why not? I guess I'll do that. (laughs) Uh, What could go wrong? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, I didn't really take advantage of the time that I was uh, in school to do pre-work and basically started on, uh, embarked on what essentially boiled down to three solid months of back-to-back NaNoWriMoing on a single project uh, for that summer. Uh, and it mm. was a pretty crazy summer. I, I did all of the things that I set out to do. I did graduate. Uh, I did mm-hmm. get married. I did move across the country. I did find an apartment. Uh, I did start my first ever big boy job, um, mm-hmm. which was a, a wildly underpaid position uh, at a uh, an indie publisher. Um I woke up early. I don't know if they have overpaid uh, positions at indie publishers, but that's fair. That's fair. I don't know if they have overpaid (laughs) positions at any publishers, really. Yep. Uh, So uh, I uh, every day my my schedule was wake up at five, try to work, uh, go to work at go to the office job at about eight, work on the book during my lunch break, and then work on the book while I was waiting for my wife to come and pick me up because we only had one car because we are millennials and we were broke as hell. And, mm-hmm. um, so we, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, my, my wife didn't see a whole lot of me during our first three months of marriage. She was <laughs> basically sharing me with our laptop computer. Uh, and, uh, that was, that was rough. That was a lot harder on her than it was on me. Um, but, uh, it it all worked out question mark i did in <laughs> fact write 180,000 words of fiction in a single project uh over the course of those 3 months uh i submitted everything on september the 1st uh promptly fell into like a three and a half day coma from work overdose and uh yeah uh figured that there was I was I was pretty soft on the odds that I would be uh, winning that particular contest uh, because I figured that I would surely I would be the only person in this group so stupid as to submit a summary for a book that I had not even started on. <laughs> um, I don't know yet whether I was the only person who was so stupid as to submit a book that I hadn't even started on, but in any case, I did win. Uh, the publisher emailed me on September 22nd and said, congrats, uh, we want to publish your book under our Simon 451 imprint. Um, there is one condition. This thing is way too long. You need to cut it in half. Um, and that's the only condition that we have for uh, publishing your book. I quickly sent them back an email stating, in effect, that, yeah, I'll cut my book in half. I'll cut several small animals in half if you'll publish my stuff. (laughs) Um, And thus begins the revision process, more or less. Um, And uh, here's here's where things get sneaky, because I like to say that I wrote my book in three months, uh, but the actual fact of the matter is that with that revision process, it was closer to a year. Um, mm-hmm. after, after September, I started revising the book, and my revision process is, uh, one might call it inefficient. Instead of going through all of the copy that I have already and trying to tighten things up and, or just change things that might need to be changed, I decided to rewrite the whole thing from scratch. Mm-hmm. Uh, just re-break the story, uh, outline it entirely differently, and then uh, write from that uh, from that starting point. Um, this is I don't recommend this. It seems like this one of the dumber yeah, ways there. that you can revise a book. Yep, um, I've been that dumb. Yeah. Nevertheless, it was my choice. Um, so I started on that, and then in January, uh, I got laid off from my underpaid position. Uh, mm-hmm. at an indie publisher on account of, uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but in my head it was, we are hemorrhaging money and will soon die. 
Um, mm. And so I needed to find new work and landed unceremoniously uh, at a food service job uh, and also into a pretty deep spiral of depression. Uh, mm-hmm. It kind of felt like I had done things backwards uh, mm-hmm. because in my head, you're supposed to work the food service job and then get the office job and then get the book contract. Yeah, uh, get that then, depression out of the way, you know? Early, yeah, exactly. Sure. Uh, and uh, and so it felt like I'd done things out of order and there was no way that I could do them correctly. Um, and so it was it was pretty tough doing all of, uh, trying to, trying to revise this book and be a young adult with a suddenly cut paycheck, uh, Mm -hmm. and working, uh, you know, just inconsistent hours, uh, at a job that I really, really hated, um, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, normal. That's, that's, uh, kind of the base level expectation of humans in our current, uh, society is that you're going to have to try to be creative while also working at a job that you hate and a job that hates you. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was rough. I did not get a whole lot of creative work done during that time. Uh, I don't have detailed notes on exactly how much work I did do. Um, Mm -hmm. but I do remember that I did not submit my finished revised work until probably hmm, I in my head I remember it as being November of 2015 that mm. I finally submitted the book uh, yeah. and that was only after I had so that was uh, again a year after I had received notice that they wanted to publish the book and mm. uh, I only ever actually managed to get that done after I had moved out of the uh, dreary and punishing food service job into a job that I cared a little bit more about. Um, and that was more steady, uh, more reliable, felt, uh, safer, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, submitted the final project on, in November of 2015. And, uh, a little bit after that, my editor emailed me and said that, uh, she had passed around the manuscript around her office and originally uh, she'd passed around the manuscript around her office and they liked it so much that they were compelled to make a change to my contract. Uh, initially the, uh, reward for winning the contest was that they would publish the book as an ebook under their Simon 451 imprint. Uh, but mm-hmm. they liked it so much that they decided to print, print actual physical paper copies that yeah, would go yeah. in bookstores that could be held so in human I, hands. Yeah, exactly. Could I pause and just maybe fill the uh, listener in uh, in case they're uh, lost with a few things? So Simon and Schuster, they're the big boys. You know, they they uh, yeah one of the one of the uh, one of the big five uh, as the major publishers are called. There is a uh, you know that that might be some people want to know. People might also want to know that uh, you. It is it is verboten to you know submit for something that you haven't written yet. Um, <laughs> that's true. Uh, you know, manuscript wise, and uh, that's the reason why is because uh, you will face uh, an ending torture in trying to catch up with the the project that you you know promised to somebody. You were saying just uh, the print copy. Um, that's also pretty. Uh, that's also pretty wild. Um, yeah. For a. Uh, yeah, for a because the 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 print copy, you know. Uh, so can you can you kind of explain uh, what all goes into that, um, where it ended up going to, and the sort of uh, you know thoughts and costs that went behind that? Uh, so I don't know a hundred percent the amount of cost and labor that goes into a print copy. I do know that it involves significantly more. Uh, your mm-hmm. distribution costs are well, well multiplied uh, for a mm-hmm. print copy versus an ebook copy. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, it's just also a much bigger risk because for the publisher, publishing a, a print copy uh, means that they are going to take uh, an X million dollar bath or whatever uh, to 
throw out all of these books and hope that they sell through that first print run so that they can make more of them. And if they mm-hmm. don't sell through that first print run, every book that the booksellers at Barnes and Noble and Borders, and I guess not Borders because they're dead, uh, yeah. but every copy that the booksellers don't manage to sell to actual physical humans are returned to the publisher and then turned into pulp. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas you uh, you only ever really need to make one ebook copy, and you will never lose money on on those. Yeah. Uh, so the the choice for them to uh, make it a print book instead of an ebook boggled my brain, um, mm. and was super super exciting. Um, and I mean, now I have I I have technically fulfilled my lifelong dream of having a book on my bookshelf. That is a physical paper thing with my name mm-hmm. on it. Uh, yeah. that was produced by a major publisher, which is wild. Um, yeah, but I mean, uh, one one thing, one key component that my lifelong childhood dream left out is that writing as a gig is not super lucrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I um, so I feel I feel pretty comfortable talking about my. Uh, financial rewards for that book because uh i'll be honest they're they're not a lot um yeah my my advance was three thousand dollars half paid uh when they uh took my submission and the half paid uh when i submitted the final book mm-hmm. um some of that went to uncle sam some of that went to my agent who helped me look through the contract and make sure that i wasn't completely screwed yeah um so altogether, I made probably about $2,500 for a year's mm-hmm. worth of work. Um, that averages out to about $200 a month, uh, mm-hmm. which is how you say bad uh, as, a, <laughs> as a rate per, per hour. Yeah, it's not a not a not a financial uh, decision, you know. To, yeah, if, if you're if you're if you're just looking to make money, that's that's a it's a rough position to uh, get into. Yeah, when my when I was growing up, my parents would always tell me that the their retirement plan was for me to write a bestseller and uh, become <laughs> a cajillionaire because they're deeply invested in capitalism and believe that it's possible but uh no it's it's not uh not super likely this is not a gig that you get into for the money or for the mm-hmm. uh psychological stability of it yeah um, it's rough yeah. yeah if you if you if you want to play the lottery but you want to do more work um yeah publishing is a great it's a yes. great thing to get into so more work um, and so much more risk yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that's so, um, so, uh, with regards to like the risk and stuff, uh, what's, what's your, uh, current copy editing job now? Um, what, what keeps you uh, involved in the, uh, you know, writing sphere and, uh, yeah, what keeps you going, uh, if it's, you know, if it's not the, the money? Uh, so this is interesting. Uh, my, my current day job is, about as far as you can get from a writing sphere while still technically be working with language. Mm -hmm. Uh, I work as a medical copy editor for a company that produces uh, not textbooks, but at least reference books for doctors and medical students. Um, Mm -hmm. And my job is just to make sure that all of this copy follows our style and is intelligible and Mm -hmm. is not misspelled and uh it's a it's a great place to work um mm-hmm. it's challenging work um and it's also quite tiring work because it's yeah uh it's pretty intellectually demanding uh you can't really <laughs> you can't really zone out while you're doing it you can't be imaginative while you're doing it mm. um you do have to be pretty rigorous and rote about how you get the job done um mm-hmm. And so uh, it's unfortunate for trying to have a creative pursuit because um, basically I am using my brain muscles all day long, every Mm -hmm. day long. And so when I get home, I'm not I've I've just stared at a computer screen filled with words for eight long hours and I'm not thrilled at the possibility of staring at a computer screen and trying yeah. to fill it with more words. 
Yeah. Uh, so it's just difficult. Uh, yeah, now, there sure. are there are challenges for anybody who has a day job and wants to also write. There are challenges for anybody who doesn't have a day job and wants to also write. It's yeah. all it's all screwy. <laughs> it's there's <laughs> there's bad yeah. solutions every way you look. Yep. It's a problem that there's really no answer to because uh if your solution is to just uh you know be a trust fund uh baby who uh is able to not work and just write um i find that writing to be on the whole uh pretty unrelatable to most of us <laughs> um if if you are you know if you're working something that's uh, not involved with writing you're not you know uh working that muscle of you know learning how to uh you know, put a sentence together. Uh, if you're working with something that does relate to writing, uh, you know, again, like you said, you're, you're kind of, uh, sick of it at the end of the day. Exactly. Um, can you, um, can you talk about like what you're writing now? Uh, what, what does, uh, you know, sort of fulfill your creative pursuit now? Uh, I know you mentioned, uh, NaNoWriMo. Uh, have you, you know, been involved with that at all or? Yeah. So since writing my first book, I have had, an incredibly difficult time doing more creative writing because the um, the sequel to my origin story is that my book released in November of 2016, famously a month in which nothing bad happened and uh, <laughs> yeah. everyone had a great time. Uh, I, I, I blacked out during that time, so I don't, yeah, I don't recall. Yeah, definitely, definitely nothing bad happened there. Uh, then in January, I needed to submit my pitch for the sequel to that book. Um, I was super excited to do it because the, uh, the book that I had initially submitted, um, the incredibly long one, um, was awkwardly. And, uh, it was, it was trying to speak about a thing that was really deeply important to me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when I needed to cut the book in half, uh, that thing that was deeply important to me, uh, basically got relegated to the second half. And so I was super excited to basically repurpose that second half into the book that I had always wanted to, to write. Oh, yeah. Whew, my voice just went clean out. <laughs> getting, getting emotional. <laughs> Apparently. Um, I was really excited to finally write this book that I'd always wanted to write. Uh, and so I submitted that pitch to my publisher and uh, got the word back a couple months later that they had passed on it basically because my book had not sold enough copies, which yeah. was not unexpected. I didn't have uh, a huge platform and the book had a hard time getting off the ground. Um, and I mean, some authors have talked about this, but releasing in November, 2016 was not great for any books. Um, nope. uh, fiction, especially yeah. uh, it was not, it was not kind. Yeah, it was, it was rough for everybody. And I was on the, uh, the lower end of that ladder. And so mm -hmm. my book just, didn't sell through a whole bunch of copies and the publisher could not, uh, financially find a reason to, uh, pick up a sequel to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, yeah. I had the option, uh, in my contract to shop that sequel around to other publishers, but it seemed like a losing proposition to try to sell, um, the sequel to a book that people had already passed on when that publish when this other new publisher, wouldn't get the original first book. Mm -hmm. um, seems like yeah. typically series have to come as a package deal. Uh, and so that one hit me hard. Uh, I was, yeah. I was more stable um, economically speaking uh, when I, when they passed on that uh, sequel, but uh, that was another pretty significant depressive episode. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, combined also with uh the things that happened in November, 2016 and are still happening, uh, mm -hmm. as just a cascade of, um, things going wrong and people being hurt. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been rough. Um, that was, so in that time period, in addition to having my sequel passed on, uh, I was starting to come to grips with the fact, uh, that, mm, Hmm. My, my politics changed pretty dramatically over the course mm -hmm. of 2015 and then cemented in 2016 uh, because I grew up in a really conservative Christian household. And mm -hmm. then 
in 2015 started to have all of the things that I thought were certain uh, break apart. And yeah. uh, shortly after 2016 and after my book had released, I was coming to terms with the fact that I, as a white male writer, have a modicum of power and using it thoughtlessly or using it without uh, acknowledging how it can harm people is really dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. I had just seen in vivid detail all of the things that can go wrong when white people go about their day without considering how they can harm other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so since 2016, I've been trying to come to grips with that more fully and trying to understand what is my role as a person with this modicum of power um, is like, (laughs) basically my question is how do I write books that don't harm people? Um, And how can I use my voice uh, in a way that opposes oppressive power structures uh, and and particularly in a way that exposes oppressive power structures? Um, Yeah. And uh, that's, it's hard. Um, Yeah. It's, it feels like there's so much learning to be done and I'm very nervous about trying to do creative work before I've done all of the learning that's necessary. Um, just because I'm, I'm so conscious now of what can go wrong, uh, when, when people behave, uh, inside of their privilege without thinking about the consequences for other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's huge. So my first month, uh, once you get to listen to the podcast, uh, uh, you will find it to be extremely thematically, uh, um, uh, resonant, uh, with what you've been saying. Um, we have a, uh, yeah, I, I I think I think it's I think that uh, it's really uh, awesome to hear you uh, talk about um, something we don't often hear about as writers, which is uh, you know uh, there is there is a there is a perception that everything is a step forwards, um, and uh, and uh, I think it takes incredible courage uh, to say, well, maybe, you know, my first step into success uh, wasn't exactly what I want to be doing. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. So um, what's something that really like uh, you have found recently um, to be very uh, difficult to write? Uh, So I've found that I'm actually really, I really struggle to write people who are rude. Um, yeah, which is interesting. Uh, I've, I've put so much psychological work into making myself be likable and charming, um, (laughs) because deeply, deep down, I am deeply, deeply socially anxious. Um, and so I'm, I'm right now trying to work on a character who is not likable and who is kind of just, just a huge douchebag. And it's hard. (laughs) It's really yeah. hard to uh, to know what a douchebag will do and say and think. Um, so that that is yeah. one that I really struggle with a lot. I also realized that I didn't even like remotely <laughs> appropriately answer your question earlier. I have tried to do NaNoWriMo since that since uh, since that last one and have failed every single time I've tried it. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I, I pretty consistently will do, we'll have a great first week and then a terrible three weeks after that. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. uh, it's not great. It's, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's a, that's, that's a, uh, a privilege of mine. Uh, you know, uh, one, one thing that's kept me honest over the past couple of weeks is, uh, starting a, uh, podcast about how I'm doing it. Um, and, uh, like you said before, you know, having an accountability group, having people, uh, who you tell, Hey, I'm going to do this. Uh, will you walk alongside me and help like, you know, understand? Um, yeah, that's, that's a, that is a game changer for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I thought a lot about this, uh, earlier when I, uh, when I was first writing my book that, uh, um, the thing that gets in the way of us finishing books typically, is our lizard brain and our fear that if we finish a thing, then people could not like a thing. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the lizard brain is terrified of finishing stuff 
uh, but it's even more terrified of you committing to a thing and then not following through on a thing and people judging you for not following through on yep. a thing. So you've you've done a good thing in trying to outsmart your lizard. <laughs> yep. No, it's a uh, you know the the thing that uh, the thing that would be really great um, is if uh, we could snip some part of our like neurons where uh, we care. I don't know. There's there's the middle ground where either you can care too much about what an audience thinks uh, and let that paralyze you, or care too little uh, and, like you said, hurt people. Yep. Um, there is a there is a distinct possibility that um, you know, uh, writing a book in a month, you're going to step on some toes and you're going to say some stuff that is uh, strictly not correct. So, what sort of uh, encouragement uh, would you give to someone who's you know been on a, a similar sort of path? Who's uh, you know like a lot of us uh, had a lot of training. Um, I, I don't know if you mentioned uh, you. Uh, your book is uh, definitely worth bragging about. Um, it's it's got a uh, so uh, and and I personally would love to see the sequel someday. Um, we have a uh, uh, if if you all want to go online and check out the Face Fakers game, it is uh, extremely highly rated uh, on Goodreads and uh, and whatnot. So um, I would definitely uh, recommend giving that a giving that a look. Um, but uh, yeah, could you could you sort of speak to you know. Uh, most of us uh, are in that middle ground right now of like having had some success uh, with our creative endeavors, um, but also not exactly seeing um, sort of uh, everything handed to us on a silver platter, you know, all at once. Uh, is there anything, is there any sort of encouragement you could give to all of us who are in the same, uh, you know, sort of uh, arena right now? Yeah. So, I think the thing that I would most want to say to somebody who's in a similar position is uh, that everybody takes the path at their own pace. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's no, it's, it's not actually a race, which is a sentence that it appalls me to say that out loud because <laughs> yeah. I so deeply want to be uh, the top of the class and this high achieving person who gets all of the people in power to look at me and say, what a, what a plucky, precocious kid. He's so, yep. he's so smart and he did, he did it right. And he did it fast. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you can't, you can't do that. It's, um, as much as I really enjoy using competition as a motivator for myself, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's not super sustainable. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's, really important to recognize that there are a lot of things that will get in your way as you try to do creative work, right? And some of those are internal to you and some of those are external to you. Some of the external things that are going to get in your way is that capitalism actually does not like art. Mm -hmm. It is designed to suppress new ideas because new ideas are not guaranteed to be profitable. And also capitalism is designed, it's, it works best when it has an army of drones who enter into the machine to do all of the basic work and then go home and consume work that other people have done because mm -hmm. they are too tired to do their own creative work and to be human on their own. You are literally mm -hmm. in a system that is designed to make you tired and bland and dull and bored. And... Mm -hmm. So that sucks. And, um, <laughs> and it's important to recognize that some of that is coming from outside of you. If you recognize the parts of it that are coming from outside of you, you can forgive yourself. You don't have to feel guilty for not always being on the hustle because there's an enormous machine with gears pointed directly at your face, trying mm -hmm. to grind you into dust. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, so it's important to be, uh, to acknowledge that. Uh, and it's also important to be kind to yourself as you're trying to do creative work. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you're not going to be able to do it because uh, you're tired um, or because you just need the energy that you have in order to pay your bills this month mm -hmm. um, or because you have a family and you would like to see them and you would like to be a person with them. And yeah. you need to give your time and your energy to that uh, because that also is a part of being human. Um, mm -hmm. 
and it's also uh, there's uh, there's not a lot of value to be gained in beating yourself up for things like writer's block or not finishing things. Um, myself, I've I've found a lot more. Uh, oh man, it's it's so annoying that I'm saying productivity here after railing against <laughs> capitalism. Um, hey, yeah. But I do find that I'm uh, better able to do more and more creative work uh, when I am trying to be kind to myself and generous to myself. When I can't figure out how to get a scene to work, that isn't necessarily because I'm dumb. Uh, it could be that my uh, my hind brain, my sleeping mind or whatever, is trying to tell me that the scene is built on flawed foundations and I need to back up to where I felt confident mm -hmm. in my choices. Um, I don't need to be mad at myself for not writing every single day um, because sometimes I'm depressed and yeah. uh, being angry at yourself has never stopped you from being depressed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And there, yeah. there are just, there are so many reasons to not write and it's important to recognize the ones that are uh forgivable that are that yeah. are not your fault or yeah. or just ones that you you can't fix by being angry at yourself um mm -hmm. and i think that gives you a little bit more energy and particularly a little bit more sustainable energy uh yeah. to try to keep on doing the creative work that you care about yeah absolutely there is uh, that is so encouraging. Uh, I think there's a, a large part of the people who will be listening to this, um, you know, want to do something and can't do it, and they blame themselves and they think that oh, this is a personality issue or you know, um, where people who you know are uh, having success in things uh, are often like gifted some sort of uh, privilege or. Uh, you know, health or um, wealth or something else that, you know, just makes things easier. Um, and so uh, just, you know, I, it is a, it is great to hear um, that, uh, you know, just reminding everybody that uh, there's a lot of forces that either work for or against you uh, and your, um, your humanity is not defined by, uh, you know, any uh, one quantitative uh, success. So just to sort of finish things up, uh, what are you reading right now? What's, what's got you, uh, what's got you hooked? Uh, oh, I have and, a list. Uh, I have yeah. a list. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. So first of all, I loved Steel Crow Saga by Paul Kruger. He is at not like Freddie on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, it is a book for everyone who loved Full Metal Alchemist and Avatar The Last Airbender growing up. It is so dope, and it is so much fun, and it is so... Oh my gosh, it's just so great. You guys should read Steel Crow Saga by Paul Kruger. That one's a uh, great Steel book. What? Steel Crow Saga, Crow Like the ah, Burn. Okay, nice, nice, cool. Yeah, it's yeah, so much I... fun. <laughs> and if uh, and if you're not familiar with the uh, uh, comp titles that he just listed, those are also amazing. Yes, um, <laughs> we uh, uh, yeah. So uh, you've you've got that. You said you had a list. I want to get through this list. Yes. Okay. So the rest of the list we have Empress of Forever by Max Gladstone. It looks like a sci-fi book, but it's actually a portal fantasy, and it's perfect. Uh, Max Gladstone yeah. is at the top of his game, and Empress of Forever is just. Oh, man, I love that book so much. Uh, Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey is awesome. Uh, Sarah has managed to combine a noir detective mystery and Hogwarts but cynical and family mm -hmm. trauma in one book. It was great. Mm -hmm. They are a legend. I love them so much. Uh, Memory Called Empire uh, by Arkady Martin is great. Uh, I also I, I wrote about all of these books on my Twitter uh, at Chandler J. Birch, if you guys want to find the actual like written praise for all of these. Yeah. Um, but Memory Called Empire is a sci-fi book. Uh, it is the start of a series that uh, the second book is not even out yet, uh, but it's so, so great. It's Martine's first book uh, out, and it's just a tour de force of a debut. Uh, and then The Only Harmless Great Thing by Bo Bolander. No, sorry, mm -hmm. by Brooke Bolander. 
uh, <laughs> is a uh, that one's the shortest of the books that I've mentioned. I think it's a novella technically, technically. Uh, mm-hmm. but that book is full of so much fire that it burned off my fingertips. It's so great. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, and, uh, uh, yeah. And into the spider verse, the last Jedi and knives out all great. Oh goodness. Yep. Yep. No. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a, uh, it's been a good year for, uh, it's been a good year for science fiction and fantasy for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, again, your, uh, Twitter handle is at Chandler J. Birch, Chandler like on friends, J like the letter, Birch like the tree. Uh, I'm, I'm Chandler J. Birch every place online that I can be found. Great. Great way to get that handle, man. All right. Well, Hey, thank you so much for uh, dropping by. I, I really appreciate you calling in and, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's been, uh, it's been really awesome to hear from you, man. And, uh, can't wait to see what you uh, come up with next. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thanks for the invite. I, uh, on the, on the topic of what's coming up next, actually, I am currently slowly trying to write a, uh, fantasy Western, uh, that will deal with trauma and religion and forgiving yourself. I have no idea when I will be done with that because as yeah. mentioned earlier, I've got a kid on the way and famously those are <laughs> yeah. those are pretty time intensive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know when that'll be happening, but uh, I'll be working on it on and off. Hopefully not just when I feel inspired, but also when I feel I have any energy. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank you again so much for the invite. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's great hey, to talk to problem. you again. And uh, yeah, yeah. Tell the family well. I said hi. Tell the dogs I said hi. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, th- tell them uh, thank you for being uh, uh, so well behaved during the interview. Um, <laughs> Will do. All right. Hey, thanks again. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Paul. All talk right. to you later. Bye. If you enjoyed that episode, please head over to authorsdozen.com where you can find free show transcripts, free book downloads, and other free stuff. Uh, the show ain't free for me, so consider donating through Patreon for super exclusive rewards, or just rate, review, and share our show. I must leave you now and return to the podcast void. So until next week, goodbye! goodbye!